can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He has written 27 books and has a 28th one coming out. It's called The End of Everything, and it's about the complete annihilation of civilizations. And I don't want to scare any of your listeners with that word annihilation, but it looks at Thebes, Carthage, Byzantium, and the Aztecs, and why those civilizations or how those civilizations were utterly destroyed and more or less have disappeared, but although not completely, I suppose, in some cases. So I encourage you to um, have a look at it and, and go on. And we have it on the website, and you guys can go ahead, pre-order from Amazon or your chosen bookstore. And so we highly encourage that. This is the Friday News Roundup, and we're going to be looking at, of course, the war in Gaza and Hamas first. And then we'll go on to um, some of Joe Biden's... Um, Jonathan Turley called it a savings and loan, the Biden savings and loan. So uh, we'll have a look at that and our also our Homeland Security, um, head of the Homeland Security, Mayorkas, answering to Congress or not answering is probably a better way of putting that. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR 
at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back. So, Victor, um, recently we saw a video of the former deputy um, foreign minister and now a spokesman for Hamas. His name is Ghazi Hamad, and he said that what Hamas is doing is going to happen, quote, again and again, and, quote, Israel has no place on our land. We must remove that country before it, um, before it constitutes a security, military, and political catastrophe to the Arab and Islamic nations and must be finished. So very ominous and shows you that Israel has really got no choice if the head of Hamas is saying that. But I was wondering your thoughts on that. Well, he's surfaced. I think for 20 years, and he's always surfaced in the context of the, Israel's got to be wiped out. And remember, he said that he's not only not apologetic for um, the mutilations, desecrations, beheading, necrophilia, I mean, all the unmentionables on October 7th, but he said there should be an October 10th and an October the 20th and millions of them. It's very important because I think all of us listening have heard uh, and I was on the campus the other day, this Israel uh, Israel will be disappeared from the river to the sea, will be erased from the river to the sea. And they always, when pressed on it, they say, well, you just mean Israel, we don't mean the Jews. Well, listen to him. For, for him, they're synonymous. And I say that because that's he just reflects the, char- the 1988 charter. I know they tried to little airbrush it a little bit, but that's their charter, to destroy all of the Israelis. That's never going to happen. And he sits there in Gaza and he looks across the border at nine million people in one of the most sophisticated, complex societies that is free, prosperous, and secure that rose out of nothing. And he is there and you think to him, well, one way to get justice would be to make Gaza into a prosperous Singapore, but no, he's not interested in that. He wants to kill all of the Jews, period. And it's just, it's part of a pattern, Sammy, where we're getting now because of the conundrum of the war, we're starting to see people say exactly what they've always felt. So we had Mr. Erdogan, our NATO ally and president of Turkey, and he said we might have to send troops to Gaza, and the Israelis are going to wake up and look at the one more not one evening and see things come down from the sky from Turkey, and he said it was not a ma- it was a massacre to go after Hamas, etc. etc. This is this is our ally in the Middle East. And he, we have a base there, Isil Kirk, and he got nuclear weapons. So 
he's now basically telling us, the Americans, that the Israelis should be destroyed. And then we have the, I think the deputy foreign minister of Iran that was at the UN, and I couldn't believe that guy. He said outright that U.S. leaders, if this war uh, continued, that they, I mean, it was, it was, I don't know if you saw that, but he said that uh, people should be, what was the word he said? He said, you leaders, it's going, you're not going to escape consequences. Personally, remember, they put a bounty on Mike Pompeo and John Bolton, but he said this in New York, that he threatened uh, this administration. So I guess what's happened when, when you lose deterrence, and we lost it in Afghanistan, we lost it with the Ukrainian invasion by Putin, we lost it with the Chinese balloon, we lost it with the woke military, we lost it with Robert Malley trying to appease the Iranians and giving money back to Hamas and declaring the Houthis no longer a terrorist organization, and da-da-da-da-da. And so there's no deterrence, and when you have no deterrence, two things happen, Sammy. People come out of the woodwork. And they're emboldened. And that's what the Turks are doing. That is what the Iranians are doing. And that's what Hamas and Hezbollah are doing. And then your friends, it's a reverse process. They go back in the in, the woodwork. So the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Jordanians, the Egypt, their attitude is, I'm not going to go out on a limb and watch Joe Biden saw me off and call, call for a ceasefire or a pause. I want you guys secretly to destroy Hamas. They're killers. But... If you're not going to do that, I'm not. I'm going to just criticize you, and so I have an Arab street to deal with. So our friends are going into the woodwork, and our enemies are coming out. Yeah, and you know what has struck me about all those protests around the world and in the United States is they keep. It seems like when they talk about it, it's as though, ooh, this is a big surprise. Look at all of these protests. But it seems to me that it's just and expression of an underlying already there anti-Semitism. And I think that if, if the Christians think that, especially all of these Islamic crowds coming out in, in, you know, I don't know, blood dripping from their teeth about this, that if they think that that's just for um, Jews, I think they've got something else coming. They'd be just as happy to do it about Christians. You'd do it anybody other than themselves. This is a process in the West, and in particular the United States, of three things that are going on. Donald Trump had a travel ban of all terrorist countries. It wasn't aimed, as the left said, at Islamic countries. There were people like the North Koreans in it. I think Venezuela was in it, too. But we let in people from regimes that don't like us. And a lot of them are intellectuals and professionals that have no future in Syria, Iraq, Egypt, none, none. So they come over here for prosperity, security, and freedom. And what do they do with those three, that holy triad? They start attacking their host. And we think it's funny. They're, oh, they're court gestures, or the left thinks they're valuable as megaphones. That's number one. Number two, this whole DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion industry, is racist. It is racist. And it allows people who self-declare to be oppressed or victimized or colonial subjects or whatever to say anything they want as protected people. Notice that when you mention Mr. Hamad, at the end of that rant on Beirut 
he said, we're the victims. We're the victims. He said victims. And so he knew that word. And that's what the DEI did. It said, if you are a non-white person, you are by definition a victim. LeBron James, victim. Eric Holder, victim. Mr. Hamad, victim. Anybody who can claim that he is not part of the Western paradigm, uh, white male, Christian, heterosexual, is a victim. And then therefore you get a blank slate to say whatever you want. And that's what the students are doing. They, And then there's a third thing. The woke movement destroyed all meritocracy. So in terms of admissions to a university now, in terms of grading, in terms of completion, there are no standards. At least standards as the university themselves said were necessary for them to be preeminent world-class institutions. So what do I mean by that? In 2010, if I walk in the door and I'm 18, I want to have an appointment with an admissions officer at Stanford. And I say, I have a 600 on the SAT and I have a 3.6 from Selma High School. They said, oh, no, Mr. Hansen, you're not competitive. You won't be able to do the work at Stanford. You need to get a 750. And your GPA at that rural high school has got to be 4.5 before we, they threw all of that out. Yeah. They didn't say it, but they did. So you have students on the campus who would not have been there, number one, and number two, think they have an entitlement to say anything they want without consequences. And then a lot of them are from the Middle East. And finally, there's one last thing. Woke DEI is not just a sin of commission. It is a sin of omission. When you have half your curriculum with a dash studies... Middle Eastern studies, gay studies, black studies, Asian studies, leisure studies, peace studies, environmental studies, green studies. You're not studying philosophy, history, language, math, science. There's not enough time. So these students are very, very ignorant. They don't know anything. No, they're just indoctrinating them in an ideology, and that's all, and without any basis. I know that there is such a thing as deductive thinking, but it's not deductive thinking at all. Well, it's... I was just, you know, I was just looking at, um, I was at Stanford the other day, and I looked at, um, well, I, I told you, I looked at all of the pamphlets. We have a, uh, I don't want to, you know, be in incendiary, but there is a group of, I think, pro-Hamas people on campus. They have a, a big center. They have slogans. They have brochures or writing on chalk, etc. And... They toss around words, and one of them I saw repeated as refugees, right? Refugees, refugees, they're all refugees. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, Sammy, they're there for 75 years on the West Bank in Gaza. That would be like saying that between the 40, after the 47, 56, and 67 war, Jordan, Damascus, Um, Amman, Cairo, you name it, they expelled 900,000 Jews because they lost those wars. And where did they end up? Most of them went, almost all of them ended up in, where? Israel? Are they in camps right now as refugees? I haven't seen any. I've been to Israel. I didn't see any UN camp that said, refugee camp, I am a displaced person from my ancestral home in Cairo. And, you know, I went to, I've been to Cyprus a couple of times. And in 1974, Mr. Erdogan, who's now lecturing, he's lecturing Israel about 
refugees, they they just forcibly expelled 150,000, maybe up to 200,000 Greek Cypriots from the most beautiful and prosperous part. You know, Bella Pice was a beautiful city. I went there in 73. It's just 74, I think it was. It was stunning. It's now a Turkish city. Well, my point is, are there Cypriot refugee camps in the south of the island? Are people now on TV every day saying we've got to take back by any means necessary? I mean, they should take it back because it's an illegitimate state. It's never been recognized by anybody. But Erdogan's not going to let that happen. But the point is, if you go to southern Cyprus, it's a prosperous, humane place. Greek Cyprus. And... You know, if you want to be really crazy, Sammy, at the end of uh, at the end of the Second World Wars, you know, I talk about the punishment that was inflicted on Germany. There was 12 million Prussians, Sudetenland Germans, Polish Germans, and everybody thought it had it coming to them, and they did. They had to walk between 1945 and 50. 12 million were forced back into Germany, and I think a million died. Does anybody in Germany to say? I have the keys to my apartment in Warsaw. I have the keys to my apartment in Konensburg. I have the keys to my apartment in Danzig. I have to get back to my ancestral home. I'm a refugee. No, they just said life's unfair. Then, you know, they were, I heard this term apartheid. You've heard that, Sammy? Yes. All about the Israelis. That's crazy, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I thought Gaza was independent since 2005, and Mr. Abbas had one election one time, and he runs Palestine, the West Bank. But there's 21% of the Israeli population. They vote. They have parties. They hold office. None of them are trying to flee into the West Bank. In fact, in that matter, they don't want to go to Jordan. They don't want to go anywhere. They're happy. I've seen their, their communities. They're prosperous. They're secure. They're free. They're freer than anywhere in the middle. And we're saying that they live under apartheid? You know who lives under apartheid? The Uyghurs in China? Is any, they're Muslims. Does anybody in the, in the Middle East say, solidarity with the Uyghurs, fellow Muslims, they're living under apartheid? No. No, no. How about the Kurds? I was thinking of them. Mr. Erdogan bombed the crap out of them in Syria and Iraq. They're second-class citizens in Turkey. Is anybody saying freedom for the Kurds? No. What do you think of that other term, disproportionate? Disproportionate. Yeah. Israel's been disproportionate. That means if Gaza sends seven to 8,000 rockets into Israel with no warning, whose sole intention is to kill people, and Israel retaliates against Hamas by dropping leaflets or calling people in buildings saying, get out, Hamas is using you as a shield, then Israel is disproportionate because it's effective and Gaza's rockets are shot down. So I guess proportionate would be, well, Israel can't knock down 5,000 of them and let them let the 5,000 come in. That's what AOC did when she, remember she voted against Iron Dome? Yeah. Because we have to be proportionate. I wish, you know, the next time, I, I'm for the defense of Ukraine. I am for Zelensky. I want them to defend themselves. But the next time I hear that term, somebody should say that there's been about somewhere between 600 and 800,000 dead, wounded, missing in the Ukraine war. And you know what? Twice the number of Russians than Ukrainians. Are we going to say, well, wait a minute, Ukraine? We're, you, 
we gave you HIMARS, I know that. We gave you Javelins, Abrams. Just don't use them for, I don't know, six months. Let them catch up. So you got to lose another 100,000. They got to lose another less 100,000. So that would be proportionate. Or, you know, I, I think I mentioned that once when I came home from UC Santa Cruz. I said to my dad, did we really have to firebomb Japan? You know what he said at the time? He said, well, what would you want to do? Just bomb Yokohama in retaliation and call it quits? <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty smart for a guy, you know, who was in the 1970s. Then there's civilian casualties. That's another one. Does anybody remember this? It just came to me. Because I'm, I'm thinking about this. So they're not supposed, they warn people and everybody. What do you do when they're, just today in the news it said 100 women and children the Israelis encountered in front of Hamas. So Hamas is using them as shields to attack Israel. What do you do? And the reason I say that is, you remember Barack Obama really got into predator drone assassinations in Somalia and Pakistan and Yemen? In fact, it was so controversial, even the left called John Brennan, then the CIA, says, we're getting all kinds of reports. You guys just send down a missile, you blow up a car, you blow up a house. Do you have any idea? There's children. He said, we have not had one civilian death. And then he, and then he did what? He lied under oath. Everybody said he lied. And they wanted to, some left people wanted to. Um... Anyway, my point is, Obama was asked about that. And he said, uh, you know, I, I, there's no doubt that we killed people we shouldn't have. Okay, so stop. That is collateral damage. And I, I want to go further than that. You remember what he also did at the White House Correspondents' Dinner? He was talking about, it was either the Jonas Brothers or those two directors, and he had his daughters were reaching puberty. And he said, hey, you guys, don't get any ideas. I got a word for you. Predator drones. You'll never see it coming. I remember, remember that. that? And he yes. said, I think he said something like, you think I'm kidding, joking? He was making fun of it. I wrote a column. That's why I remembered it at the time. Nobody said, oh, my God, you're using, you're deliberately continuing with a tactic that you, you admit has collateral damage. And then we talk about genocide and all of these people who were yelling from the river to the sea for genocide. But I mean, where I work, we took $50 million from Chinese sources and the Chinese government is uninterrupted from Maoist era. It's the same Maoist Communist Party that killed more people than anybody in history, a genocide of somewhere between 60 and 80 million people during the Cultural Revolution. I don't know what the Weggers are doing, but you hear horrendous stories about their efforts to wipe them out. So what, what, what is behind all this asymmetry toward Israel? And I have a feeling that it is, it's too successful, it's too prosperous, it's too secure, it's too free. And it's sufficiently Western, even though it's out in the middle of the Middle East, that when you go to Israel, it's like going to what used to be San Francisco. It's, it, it works. It, it's free. And so, therefore, it's colonialist. It's imperialist. It's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And finally, and most importantly, it's Jewish. Mm. If Israel was not Jewish, it was a bunch of Irish fighting for their life, I don't think anybody would, you know what I mean? I don't know. There might be some hate coming out for the Irishmen um, in all of that. I don't know. But the, uh, 
I have a I have an addition to your the British, list. Of the British words. were pretty tough on the IRA. Yeah, they sure I know were. they were sympathetic because we have a huge Irish, and my grandmother was Irish. Yeah, but uh, pretty much the United States sympathized with the SS, the special services. You know, yeah. in uh, I don't mean the Gestapo, but the British. British, yeah. Uh, special services were pretty tough on the IRA, and they broke them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go to a break and then we'll come back. And I do have a term that you might want to add, or at least we can discuss here. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back. This is the Victor Davis Hansen Show, and we're talking about the distorted language by which we talk about talk about the war in Gaza. And I have an addition. You might add the good Palestinian who doesn't exist because he's the Palestinian that recognizes they don't want Hamas as leadership and they should be supporting everything Israel can do to get rid of the tyrannical leadership that they have. And so I was wondering, it, it just surprises me we don't, what are these Palestinians um, cheering on? They should be trying to cheer on a independent, free, liberal. Is anybody at Harvard or Yale or Stanford saying free elections for Gaza, free elections for Palestine? No. no. They're supporting dictatorships and autocrats. And they come over here as, as immigrants, many of them find enormous success, find a employment for their advanced European and westernized degrees. And the first thing they do is cheer on governments that are illiberal and autocratic. Have you ever noticed another thing? When you look at protests in the streets of the West Bank or Cairo, they're all male. Everybody is a man. It's like an apartheid. They're talking. I just saw the word apartheid at Stanford. What is apartheid are these male crowds in the Middle East. And then you know what I've noticed? When I look at protests in the United States, you know who are the most strident, angry, and prominent speakers on behalf of our women? Does anybody ever make the connection that in the United States, the great Satan, you can attack the little Satan, and you can be a female, but in the Middle East, which you're champion, you would never be allowed that prominence. So weird. It is really and, weird. And, you know, it's it's very funny that uh, we always distinguish, we say Palestinians have been hijacked by Hamas. Some of them do. Now, I don't think they do. I think they're proud of Hamas. But they always conflate Israel and Jews. 
You know what I mean? It's all one. Everybody's there. Okay, they voted for the government, so you're right. But somebody at one time, remember in the Middle East, it's one vote one time. So they voted for Abbas one time. They voted for Hamas one time. And when I look for separation, I think to myself, well, they blew a hole in the wall. They came out of the tunnels. They came from the sky. They came from the sea. They killed... 1,300 people, and we're starting to, I don't want to get in on the air, the latest pathology reports uh, about what was done in, um, they're finding out, they've got all these bodies, and they're finding out new atrocities that can't be spoken on air, because I, I use the word pre-civilizational, but they're satanic. I mean, there's something that, that come out of the, the lowest rung of Dante's Inferno. And uh, I... So, I didn't see anybody object to that. That poor girl that was beheaded or had her skull crushed, that German, mm -hmm. she was bleeding from her genital area, and they were displaying her corpse, and people were trying to get in to hit her, hit the corpse, and spit on her. And then there were hundreds of people who, hey, they're killing Jews in Israel, and there's no IDF, and there's a big hole in what, let's get in there and rape and kill and loot. And they did, admittedly so. So I don't, I know that, Women and children are, are victims, and it doesn't matter whether they support Hamas, I suppose, or not. They're, they're the same status as Germans in Dresden and Hamburg, young little kids. And it was terrible the way that the Allies tried to stop uh, the, the Wehrmacht by hitting civilian targets. But give me another alternative. Yeah. And the alternative is Hamas is buried deep down inside uh, the ground in Hamas, and on top of it in mosques and schools and hospitals are civilians. And they know that they're being used, or they're willingly being used, or they're unwillingly being used, but they're being used by Hamas. So you tell me how to, you can drop leaflets, you can call them. I don't know of any war, do you, when the enemy calls the other enemy on a cell phone? Does, do the Ukrainians say to the Russians, hey, we're going to hit a bridge in Crimea that you're using to facilitate this war. So we're going to call traffic control in Crimea and say, oh, every, would you please send out alert that the next hour we're going to take out this bridge? Please, because we have a drone on its way. It's, yeah. gonna, it's a missile. It's going to hit in 20 minutes. Just make sure everybody's... No. In fact, remember, people got very angry on Walter Isaac's son's uh, biography of Elon Musk because he said he didn't allow the Ukrainians to use Starlink to facilitate attacks which he felt were not only provocative and might lead to a wider war but had a lot of civilian collateral damage. So I don't know anybody other than the Israelis who do that. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's move on to another aspect of what's going on in the Middle East, and that is Iran, and something a little bit more specific about Iran. I hear, I've been reading that there might be a second front opening in Syria, and the evidence that they reference is mobilization of militias to the south of Syria, operatives being transformed, uh, transformed, transferred to the area, and elevated alert of the Syrian army. And I was wondering your thoughts or what you've um, noticed. Well, this has been going on for three weeks, hasn't it? And they've supposedly attacked the United States well over 80 times, our, our troops in Syria or Iraq. And they've killed three or four Israelis on the border, maybe more. 
and they're sending rockets along the border. And Iran is threatening, as I said, U.S. leaders, and Turkey is threatening to intervene. And guess what? Nobody's intervened. So what's happening? Everybody says it's like World War I, the guns of August. It's about ready to explode. An accidental war. No war is ever accidental. Remember that. All war is is a laboratory. It is a fail. It's a system of failure where there's 10 people in the room and they're all suspicious of each other and nobody knows who has a gun and who's an expert in karate or mixed martial arts. So they all go mix it up and they're surprised that that guy that you thought was a little wimp with the thick glasses had a huge gun. However, had he walked into the room with a holster and a bandolero, you know, bandolero full of bullets, you wouldn't have gone to war against him. So war is it's a clarification of who was powerful and who was not. And it's always a failure because people did not make people aware of relative power, which is called deterrence. So when you say the Houthis are not terrorists and Hamas can have money and Iran will pay them $1.2 billion per captive and we'll give them $50 billion in a oil sanction relief windfall and we'll put pro-Iranian Robert Malley in charge of the new Iran deal and we will give money to the Lebanese government that we know seeps into Hezbollah, then what happens? They think that despite 10 carrier groups and 7,000 nuclear weapons and the most sophisticated air force in the world, they look at Kabul or they look at the Chinese balloon or they look at Russia going in and Joe Biden said, if it's a minor, a minor offensive, I don't think I'll work. And we'd lose deterrence. And now they're starting to think they can do these things. We haven't lost it entirely or they would have attacked. So they still are suspicious. They're thinking, well, on the upside, Biden has been so humiliated abroad. He's so weak. He's been appeasing us. But on the other hand, he's only got a year and a half. And one of those either nutty Trump's coming in or equally nutty Haley or DeSantis is coming in. But they're all nutty and they're completely unpredictable and they might unload on us. So should we act now or hold off? Because if after Biden's done... We don't know what. We'll ever have this chance again. But on the other hand, maybe events will draw it so they're uncertain. Yeah. And they want to maintain their investment in Hamas and Hezbollah and their, most importantly, their credentials. And their credentials on the Arab street are as they have to be the tip of the spear against the Western colonialist imperialists. So what they're doing is they're, they've calibrated it. They're hitting Americans just enough they're hitting the Israelis just enough. The, the Iranians are bragging just enough. And then just when you're really to pounce on them, the Iranians say, yes, we love what they do. We love them killing Jews, but we didn't plan it. We didn't plan it. Hmm. We sure. didn't plan it. Hezbollah says, we're going to, we have 150,000. But we've only sent 28. We only sent 28. And... Erdogan goes, we're going to send in missiles any minute and we're going to send them. But we haven't done it. So that's what they're doing. They're trying to reassure the Arab Muslim street that they are authentic jihadists. But they do not 
quite yet think the United States is ossified, impotent, calcified. So yeah. they stop. Yeah. And how long that'll last, I don't know. But at some point, they'll be stupid enough to try something. Yeah. And they know if they do, they will kill several thousand Israelis with 120,000 rockets. It'll overwhelm but they won't have a Beirut left. And they didn't have one really in 2006. And Mr. Nasrallah said later after the 2006 wars, if he hadn't known the damage to Beirut, he wouldn't have done it. Well, if I can continue in this direction, but bring it back to home, our homeland, um, um, Mayorkas, our uh, homeland security head, ha- testified in front of Congress recently, and they were asking him about an employee that posted on her social media a picture celebrating the Hamas massacre, and he refused to answer (laughs) that question. He just tried to sidetrack it. And you know what, just to add to this before you talk about it, um, I went on to the DHS website, and he has a thing written out about his idea of what should be done, and he says in it, ensuring the safety of the American people is a national imperative and a governmental obligation. I'm thinking, well, that's great that he knows that, so he can't claim ignorance about the immigration. So both of those things I thought were interesting about Mayorkas. He is one terrorist incident away from being impeached and I think convicted because people on the Democratic side If there is an Islamic terrorist that comes in and attacks people, especially Jewish people, after we've been warning him, I think he would be be impeached now, except that Republicans are in disarray and they have a very small margin because he he won't answer a question. He just has this robotic preset, four points, four points. No, just tell me how many people have you let in illegally? Four points. He he won't answer. How, How many people from the Middle East have come in? Uh, four point. He, he, he just. And so why is he doing this? I mean, that's what we want to know. That's what our listeners, what I want to know. And we know the answer. He feels that if you don't have a border and you let in eight million impoverished people, then you're going to need a bigger entitlement industry, which we are already seeing. We've let in basically, Sammy, eight San Francisco's and they will look like San Francisco's. So we have new eight new cities the size of San Francisco, all of illegal aliens, and they need enormous amounts of health subsidies, education subsidies, food subsidies, housing subsidies, legal subsidies, etc. And they're going to be at the polls because of mail-in balloting and early balloting and very soon voters for a, an agenda that otherwise is increasingly unpopular with Americans. And don't believe Victor, believe what they write. Take them at their own word. They write books called Demography is Destiny, the New Democratic Majority. It says there that there's a new type of American and they're letting them in. That's why he's doing it. And in a cost-benefit analysis, Mr. Mallorca sits with his private left-wing advisors and they no doubt say, on the one hand, it's getting kind of risky there was like 150 people on the terrorist watch list. And the other people say, yeah, but it's an acceptable risk because we're letting in 8 million new people of the kind that we want. It drives the conservatives crazy. We can call them racist, xenophobes, protectionists, everything. It's a winning, oh, well, you know, 
it's starting to get Eric Adams angry and black people in Chicago angry and our democratic base angry. And if we have a, t- well, it's still worth it. It's, it's getting iffy, but the lo- after we're all gone and the Republicans are back in power, what are they going to do? Are they going to try to find 8 million people? No, we, we, we have a legacy and it was worth it. That's how they think. Well, you know, what struck me about Mayorkas at, at this moment was that he seems to have this idea that um, his position is his own little fiefdom instead of that he's a servant of the American people in the way that he sort of protects himself and thinks he has a right to. So he does have that's a right. He, he does, though, because he swore an oath to uphold the laws of the United States, right, as Homeland Security secretary and he's violated it yeah and then he says i just violated it. i don't give it blank i'm not going to talk to an elected official and the senator who does he think he is i'm the equivalent of dr fauci i can do whatever the blank i want and then he thinks hmm what happened to john brennan the cia director when he lied under oath twice what happened to james clapper the director of national intelligence when he lied on what happened to andrew mccabe the interim fbi when he lied four times to a federal what happened to james comey when he pled pled amnesia 245 times what happened to robert Mueller, the fbi former director when he said he had no idea what the steel that was the biggest lie of all time this didn't know what the steel dossier or fusion gps which prompted his appointment and what happened to Dr. Fauci when he said, I have never been any, any possible way aware of gain and function research in Wuhan. And I would never give money to gain and function. And it's not gain and function. He know, he was lying. Nothing happened. No. Nothing happened to them. So Mallorca says, you just go up here. You just put up with these elected officials. You lie to them. You just ignore them. You treat them like crap. And. They treat you with indifference, and that's all, all I need. There are not going to be any consequences. Yeah, and that's enough to make the it makes people people's very blood boil. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think what one thing I think we should all be, there is a slight chance, Sammy, that people are getting so angry at the border, at going into a pharmacy and seeing everything locked up with the smash and grab and the looting, and the carjacking with impunity, with the price of gas here in California, $6 a gallon plus, with the anti-Semitism hatred, with the idea that all of these elite subsidized universities that get tax-free endowment income on 1.9 and subsidized student loans that promote their inflationary tuition hikes, they're getting tired of it. And they're getting tired of being watching us humiliated and Kabul, and they, they look at this, they don't they get tired of Jean, Corinne Jean-Pierre lying about the Chinese balloon, lying, says that Islamophobia is a greater threat than anti-Semitism when there's no statistical evidence for that at all. Jews, 2% of the population, 50% of hate crime victims, and she lies right on national TV. So they're getting upset, and they're starting to to be so full of themselves, they're starting to erode their own base. So African-Americans, especially males, when they wake up and they have all of these illegal aliens in their communities, taking over their parks, taking and we're giving them subsidies at the expense of our African-American citizens. And then when you look at, uh, there are some suggestions that Jewish Americans give half 
half of the political donations to Democratic candidates, and they are basically telling them, you can't, telling Israel, you can't fully respond to Hamas. You need a ceasefire, a pause. And then there's people in the Congress of the Democratic Party who, like Talib and AOC, who attacked Jews, a Jewish organization, uh, just now, just yeah. yesterday. Are they really going to want to sub subsidize all that? Yeah. So they are so arrogant and so extreme, they're starting to worry their own base. And if the Republicans are starting to get together in the House a little bit with this new speaker, and if they could ever get their act together and take the House and Senate and presidency, I think they could do a lot to stop this madness. Because I don't think that people don't want to vote for the Democrats. They want a reason not to vote for the Democrats. Yeah. The Republicans need to come together on that. They need to. Well, <laughs> speaking of blood boiling, we have one more topic um, that's blood boiling. And Jonathan Turley had a current article that he called the Biden saving and loan because they're talking about another sum of money that was transferred to Joe Biden. And it happens to be 40K after... Hunter got paid 400k by the Chinese, and it had a suspicious money laundering path by which it got to Biden. <laughs> um, and so I was wondering what your thoughts on that. It was kind of funny because Hunter got that lap. By the way, if we didn't have that laptop, I don't think we would have known much because they had so many shell companies. But when he started whining that Joe skimmed <laughs> off 10% and then you see this 400000 coming in and then there's a check for a loan repayment for 10%. I was thinking about it because you remember everybody that Joe Biden, when he came in, he toured the country for his tax hike and he said, we got to make the rich pay their fair share and we're getting sick of these tax cheating and Donald Trump is all, it was all that and the whole time he was a tax fraud himself. And it's like, okay, I'm Victor and nowhere in Selma, and I'm going to call the Hoover Institution out. Stanford University actually pays me. I'm going to say, the next check you get, can you write on the bottom, loan repayment? <laughs> and then I, I'm 70 years old. I get a little tiny Social Security check. I'm going to say, can you put loan repayment on it? Oh, I forgot my loan application. I don't have any, but I'm not going to pay taxes on it because it's a repayment. <laughs> Just because you write it like that, that is a proof of criminality. It really is. Yeah. Whoever does that, loan repayment. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, isn't there you laws? either have a loan or yeah. not, and you have to have some evidence. And what is the evidence? I can tell you what the evidence is. It's either an IOU or a document or some kind of collateral or more importantly, a bank record that Joe Biden transferred $200,000 to Jim Biden on a particular date. You're not going to find it. <laughs> yeah. How do you know? Maybe they'll just generate some IOUs right now and go hide them in the garage and then no. say, oh, look, we found them. <laughs> what is the subtext of all this? What is that Jamie Ratkin guy gets up? That Democratic congressman just said, this is outrageous. There's not one scintilla of evidence. They all know that he's crooked. And they're all saying, hmm, we got a year and a half. And he can just stumble or bumble through. And we're going to get rid of him. And then if you guys want to go after him, go ahead. We don't care. He's expendable. And he won't even know what, he's, what you're doing to him. So, ha, ha. And we don't want Kamala Harris. Are you stupid? Do you want to convict Joe Biden of bribery, maybe even treason, and get Kamala Harris, you don't want to do that. Even the Republicans don't want to do that. 
as bad as he is, they think that Anthony Blinken and Jake Scott are better than Kamala Harris, right? Yeah. So they would rather have that. And so they're not going to impeach him and they're going to get rid of him. And that's the whole story. Yeah. And Gavin Newsom's going to probably come in with his Gavin Trudeau, I guess I could call him. He's our version of Trudeau, isn't he? He is, isn't he? He dresses like Trudeau. He tries to look like Trudeau. He poses like Trudeau. He's an idiot like Trudeau. He's a empty mind like Trudeau. And, and he, he probably tried... has some picture in the background of him in blackface, too. <laughs> yes. Or, well, his version is dribbling behind his back to show off to the people in a basketball game and then flattening a poor little Chinese kid in the Tripping process. on his own feet doing that. That was what was so weird. <laughs> Putting on his Abercrombie and Fish outfit, a little fleece vest, and going down to the border and lecturing us about fentanyl finally. I do like his uh, Gavin 3.0 or whatever iteration he's in because I drove this week to my weekly little trip to Stanford, and I'm so happy to see people in little vests picking up trash along the highway. And I would say every 10 miles on 101, I started, and then I got onto 152, and then I got onto I-5, and then I got onto Manning Avenue, and guess what, Sammy? It was there all clean. was road <laughs> construction, a little sign, your tax dollars at work. It was amazing what they're doing. Yeah. It took a long time, but, and then I, on the way home, I plowed through my little detour on high-speed rail and stall Stonehenge, and guess what? On Stonehenge, there was actually Stonehenge workers I saw on profile on a bridge. They're working on Stonehenge again, yeah. the high-speed rail bridges. Yeah, I've noticed the 99 has work everywhere on it, so he's trying to get it done in the next six months so he can say, look, I've got these beautiful roadways. Yes, <laughs> and he's got his graffiti. So, you know, Stonehenge has been there for 10 years with not one foot of track, right? and there's graffiti all over it. Yeah. And they get it off now really quick. Yeah, one day you see all the M13 gang stuff on Stonehenge, and the next day it's airbrushed out. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's take a break, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about our new Speaker of the House. Stay with us, and we'll be back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
You're back. We're back. And um, thanks for joining the Victor Davis Hansen Show. You can find Victor on his website at victorhansen.com. The name of the website is The Blade of Perseus. And you can join us for a free subscription to get on our mailing. We have about four times a week to make sure everybody knows what's new on the website. And then also we have VDH Ultra material that is posted three times a week. And you need a subscription for that. So you can join for $5 a month or $50 a year. So please come join us. So Victor, I was wondering, I know that you were, have been a little bit reluctant to say much about, uh, naturally so, Mike Johnson, but he is the new Speaker of the House. And I was wondering now that he's had a weekend or so, you had some reflections on what his, the job he is doing. Well, we don't know yet, but he pushes every left-wing button. I mean, he's very pro-life and he is a very unapologetic Christian and he is a white male and he comes from the South. So he's, you know, he's satanic in the eyes of the left. So that's good that they get so upset about him. But he has kind of a photographic staccato delivery. Like when there's ever an issue and it's kind of complex, he just has the perfect answer and he, and he smiles. Reminds me of a guy in graduate school that uh, was a brilliant Greek scholar and well, actually it was an undergraduate, I take that back. And he knew all the answers and everybody, they'd say, Mr. Smith, could you uh, conjugate Luo? And he'd smile and go, I don't know if I can or not. It's very, Luo, Luis, Luis, Lumen, Luete, Luise. You want me to go to the future? <laughs> go off. And everybody'd go, that little SOB is so sweet and nice and he's got all of the answers. And he's not arrogant, and I hate his guts because of that. <laughs> and that's where he is. He, he has all the answers. He smiles. He's affable. But he's like a little bulldog that grabs your leg, and he's not going to let go. So I, I like him. I think he's pretty good. I like Kevin McCarthy. So, But yeah. they're very different. Yeah. He's, this guy is insidious. And it's going to be very hard for the left to demonize him. Because he's, he doesn't try to be provocative, but he, he's, he has, he's very knowledgeable and he understands the left wing mind. And they ask him, <laughs> I was watching Hannity, but they ask him about impeachment. He had a big smile on his face, like he's going to say no. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, I've always thought that the crimes that they've committed are impeachable. <laughs> it's just a matter of our resources. I thought, wow, he's smiling and everybody likes him. They just said that we shouldn't impeach that SOB. <laughs> so I think that's good. I, I think they finally got, but you know, this Buck guy and all these guys are defecting. I think they're going to be down to three seats. So it's going to take, I don't know if he can, anybody could marshal the Republicans. They're like cats. You can't herd them. They're just they're like the old Democrats were, and now the Democrats are Stalinists, <laughs> so they have, you know, you, the commissars slap everybody in line, and you can't, you know. Yeah. But I, I think it may change. I think I'm hoping that this guy, Johnson, can get party unity and discipline at the very time that AOC, the squad, Talib, are so anti-Semitic, so pro-Hamas, so... Jacobin that even the Democrats can't control them. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big problem. The Democrats are kind of, as I say, that metaphor, they're Dr. Frankenstein, and they told us they were creating this wonderful new creation, and it turned out to be a monstro DEI monstrosity, and they can't control it. You know, if you looked at that resolution in the 
House to condemn the violence of Hamas on October 7th. Except for a, that, I don't know why Representative Massey and the Republican, I guess he doesn't believe in, I don't know what, uh, giving aid if we don't have the money. I don't know where he's been, but you just write a check in today's America and you borrow it. I'm being facetious, but I don't know what his grounds were. But if you look at all the people who either voted against that res resolution or voted present, i.e. they're for it, every single one was a Latino or black congressperson. And they're going to say what? I mean, it was anti-Semitic. If you if you know what happened on October 11th and all the horrific Seventh, crimes, you mean. and you can't condemn that, and the answer is why? And I think it has a lot to do with the anti-Semitism that has been part and partial of the DI, DEI project. And it goes back to Farrakhan. It goes back to Al Sharpton at Freddy's Fashion Mart. It goes back to Jesse Jackson and Jaime Town. It goes back to the BLM founders. It goes back to the BLM poster with the hanging glider. It goes back to... Representative Andre Carson, who threatened to beat up a Jewish congressman who objected to what he'd said. Um, and it's just endemic. And it is, there's no, there's no downside to be anti-Semitic if you're in a protected category, an identity politics category. Yeah. People forget that the voice of Aslan, the whole La Raza movement, if mm -hmm. you look at it, it's their origins in the 60s. I wrote about it in Mexifornia. It had a very strong anti-Israel, anti-Semitic flavor to it. And uh, I think the Democratic Party encouraged that group, the DEI project, and uh, they, had, they didn't realize that if traditionally Jewish people had been a strong s supporter of the Democratic Party and may have been half of their donors, and yet you were bringing into the party people who despised Jews, that ultimately you had a rendezvous with what we had, and that Gaza war tore off this scab, and there's a putrid wound beneath it. And the fact is that a third of the Democratic Party are anti-Semites. Yeah. And I think you talk a little bit about these DEI and woke people who are suggesting or passing policies that require people to look at each other in groups and uh, ethnic groups and identity groups. It's racist. Is, it's it's racist, racist and it's tribal. And th we see in Gaza what happens when they're tribal. And I think your book, The Dying Citizen, is a really apt discussion of that pre-civilizational tribalism. It, it is. Just go to the first book of Thucydides when he talks about pre-civilizational Greece when people were migratory tribes. And they were not and that was the form, the reforms of Cleisthenes. They tried to break up the tribal system so that people were, they had political unification and commonalities. Yeah. And they didn't look at individuals as just faceless members of a tribe. And that's what the that's what the whole Gaza Palestinian movement is. Yeah. And that's what the DEI is. That it's okay to, I mean, when they say white privilege, white rage, white supremacy, they're talking about all white people. And all these white liberals thought, well, that's not me. Well, yeah, it is. They don't care. And it's just like in the South saying in 1940, black people, right? And it's just like saying when I was growing up and that a lot of racist people said all Mexican people. 
And now, what makes any difference if you if you use that paradigm against white people? Oh well, it's because they have power, Vic. No, they don't. I, if you look at suicide rates, highest per capita suicide rates. If you look at number of actual people on welfare, the number largest people on public assistance are white, as far as numbers go. And if you look like at longevity and lifespan, it's the only major ethnic racial group that is not living longer each year. And so uh, it's not a good thing to look at people as groups, and they have to end. If anything good comes out of this horrific mess, it will be the same. Tribalism is, is at the root of most evil abroad and in the United States, and it's time that... Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Princeton need to set an example and say you're not going to have racially separate graduations, you're not going to have racially separate safe spaces, you're not going to have racially separate dorms, you're not going to be able to pick your racially particularized roommate. We're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to have racially uh, prescribed fellowships. And uh, racially determined admissions, because it's it's just racist, and then more importantly, it's just open to so much corruption of the one eighth this and the one quarter this and Pocahontas and Ward Churchill, Rachel Dozel. It's just it just invites people, just like it did in the South when you it was segregated and institutionalized racist. Everybody was claiming they were white, right? They had to, and now everybody's claiming they're not white because they think they have to to get to deal with a system that's racist. Well, Victor, we're at the end of the podcast, but I have one more news story and probably not too much to say about it because we have been talking about these protesters for um, Hamas. And one of them, though, was Ibram Barmal, who disguised himself behind his kefet Kafia, I think that's what they're called, those headscarves. Yes. And physically Shepherd. and verbally assaulted a Jewish student, and he's the editor of the Harvard <laughs> Law Review. I mean, look at Harvard. They're, that's I horrible. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because we have not discussed this, but a name rings familiar. I think he was a Stanford undergraduate, and I think he got an award for safety or security or award or something, or brotherhood award, yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. So he's a head of... Well, we've had so many prestigious editors of the Harvard Law Review. Remember Barack Obama? Yes. So they, they said never came in and did anything. What, is the, what does it mean to be the editor of the Harvard Law Review now? Does it mean that you've, in your coursework, you were brilliant, or as a student, you wrote a brilliant law article? No. It means your DEI fee days are better than someone else's, and you're yeah. obsequious and you're a careerist. So he knew that. He knew there was no consequences. One thing we didn't talk about, maybe we can close off, is this passive-aggressive um, mentality. I don't quite understand it. If abroad, it's like Hamas and Gazans, they want to follow the killers into Israel. The poor woman who... They found a fragment of her skull, but she was in her underwear, and it was horrible to watch her in that Jeep, you know, when they, yeah. they kicked her and spit at her, and then the celebrations they had on the West Bank. So you got the impression that this is a very aggressively anti-Israel, and then all of a sudden Israel responds, and it's, we're victims. We're passive. We can't, 
And the same thing about these students. They go into these things. They, they yell hateful things. They, want, they call for the destruction of the Jews. They write letters with their special little... You know how it is on a campus where the Coalition for the Freedom of Palestine, they're like three people, but they have about 20 different names rather than just one. So they mislead it that they have popular support. And then when some guy comes up and says, okay, you are cheering on the Hamas death squad. This is who you signed your name. You thought it was going to pay big dividends. We're never going to hire you at this law firm. Or we're going to dox you. We're not going to really dox you because you doxed yourself. <laughs> That's true. You gave us your name in a very public manner. So we're going to drive around with a truck with your name on it. And when you want to go pull down the names of innocent children and babies, uh, pictures of them on a wall, they're now sitting in a dank tunnel and probably facing death. And you don't want anybody to be worried about them. You're going to we're going to take a picture of you. And then you, you can't do that. I'm going to go tell the dean, please, the Harvard president's going to protect the kid. It's so passive, you know, aggressive. I mean, I don't know. I, when I, you know, I spent three or four years researching the uh, World War II, at least when you had a creepy criminal German panzer commander, right? And he wanted to kill you if you were an American and or a Russian and you, you attacked him. And you put a hole in his chest, then he put a cigarette in his hole and started smoking it. Because <laughs> he was unapologetic. Yes. He wanted to kill you and he was no damn good. Yeah. And But he didn't say, oh, please, I didn't mean to kill all those Jews. Yeah. Please. Well, some of them did. Himmler did. He tried to hide out. But everybody got so sick of that. And you know what? I think everybody should. One of the things, the best thing about researching and reading for years about World War II was reading the transcripts of the Nuremberg trials. It was amazing that all of these Third Reich uh, racists that were engineered uh, the final solution, when they got up there, they either said that they were just obeying orders. They knew nothing about it. I thought someone would say, yes, we did it. We're proud. Almost none did. They were all fighting to, to live one more day in a way that they had precluded that opportunity for six million people. So I think everybody's shocked that all of a sudden these... These triumphalist, angry, arrogant, supposedly brave on October 7th that break out all over our campuses cheering on the dismemberment, the mutilation, the rape. And then all of a sudden the response comes and it's, oh, well, we're victims. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Yeah. That's really typical in a wider sense, not just of the Palis radical Palestinian movement, but this generation. And it's it's endemic in this generation because they've grown up with such leisure and opportunity and entitlement and affluence because you can really see it. Yeah. And I, I can't quite get on to this. Um, I can't quite. I speak at universities, not as much as I used to, but I couldn't. I always was struck that some person would grab the microphone. It happened to me, I think, at Washington Lee at... I guess it was Oregon or Oregon State, when a person just won't ask a question and just screams and yells, and then you politely say to them, what's the question? And then you demolish the person, and they, I can't believe you said that I'm a student. You know what I mean? They they fall back on that. And yeah. Or you see this phenomenon of people trying to put their pictures in very racy uh, garb, I guess, and then all of a sudden... It's the most provocative sexual pose on the internet. Or you go on campus and somebody looks like they, 
they have yogurt, you know, tights on. And then at the same time, you read about the Victorian morality on campus. You, I was at work one day and this man didn't ask my permission. He looked at me in a threatening, nasty way. Yeah, he, he did. He should be punished. But I mean, you shouldn't dress that way either, I suppose. Or, you know, people are very obnoxious and obnoxious and then they get angry when somebody reacts against them. So it's passive aggressive and it's really disturbing. Yeah, it sure is. Well, Victor, thank you very much for all of the discussion, especially of the war going on in, in Gaza and Hamas and also Iran. We appreciate that today. And we appreciate our listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.